amen and amen. Thank you, praise team. Thank you. You may be seated. We're in a series. We've been talking about being connected. And so we've been in a series where we've been talking about the importance of staying connected. We started with the understanding that you were made to be connected. This is what you were made for. You were made to connect with God and you were made to connect with others. This is who you are. This is a part of who you are today. Last week we saw the importance of staying connected. We saw that staying connected is what brings you into discipleship. That this is how we grow in our Savior. This is how we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We follow Him. We trust Him. We obey Him. We model our life after Him. And it comes through this connection that we have with God and with others. It draws us into this process of staying connected and growing in Him. Today I want to continue by helping you understand that you need to find your people. I know that's a hard thing to hear this morning, but you need to hear this. You need to find the people who are going to pour into you spiritually. And you need to find the people who you're going to be able to pour into spiritually. This is what you need to find in your life. Because it's through these connections with others that we start to grow and we start to help others grow. This is the power of this connection is when we find our people. When you find that group of people around you that can strengthen you. And help you. Let me show you what I mean. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. I'm going to read quite a few passages out of Acts chapter 9. So just stay there with me in your Bible. Acts chapter 9 is the story of Saul's conversion. We also know him as Paul. Many people think that his name was changed from Saul to Paul. It wasn't. In Acts chapter 13 we know him. The Bible says that he was Paul also known or Saul also known as Paul. And so in Acts chapter 9, we see his conversion. We see the actual moment that Paul became connected to Jesus Christ. And I want to look at it together. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me there for just a second. Acts chapter 9, I'm going to read the first nine verses. Here's how that passage starts in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Isn't it great to know that Christ wants to connect with you. Think about this story for just a second. Saul is on the road to destroy the very disciples of Jesus Christ. Those who believe in Jesus, those who espouse Jesus, those who are trying to follow Jesus, those who are adopting this new way of believing 
He's actually out to destroy them. He's out to tear them apart and he's out to arrest them. But yet God has a different plan for him. God looks at that guy who's an enemy of his and says, if I can get a hold of him, there's something I can do with him. There's something I have in his life. There's something I have for him today. And he, we see this in this story. And you need to understand this today. It's still true in your life as well. Christ wants to connect with you. It doesn't matter where you've been. You say, oh, but I've been an enemy of Christ. I've, I've, I've been an enemy of this church stuff. I've been an enemy of God. And I'm here to tell you, He has a plan and a purpose for you today. And that plan and that purpose, it begins with a relationship. It begins with a relationship with Him because He wants to connect with you. But right in the middle of Saul's conversion, we see two guys kind of step into the forefront. And it's these two men that I want to focus on for just a second. The first is a man named Ananias. We don't know much about Ananias, but if you continue reading in verse 9, we see a little bit about him in Acts chapter 9. Look with me at verse 10. It says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. I love this conversation that Ananias has with the Lord. Because the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and laying his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Look at what Ananias says in verse 13. He says, But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he is, he has the authority from the chief priest to bind up all who call on your name. But look at what the gods, but look at what God says. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Church, I need you to hear me today. That's the way God looks at each and every one of us. That even while others are saying, look how evil they are. Look how bad they are. I'm here to tell you, God's looking at that same person saying, there's my chosen instrument. I've got a plan and a purpose and I've got good things in store for them. And so Ananias departed and he entered the house and he laid his hands on him. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, he sent me to you so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's what I love about this story is that Ananias was willing to listen to God. When God spoke, Ananias was listening. He was a disciple of God. He was, he was a disciple of Jesus Christ. And, and, and Now here's the tough part. When we're a disciple, we don't get to filter God's messages, right? He, he heard a message that he wasn't so sure about, right? He, he heard this message about Saul and he's like, well, yeah, I know, I know exactly who that is. I'm not sure I want to go talk to him. I'm not sure I like him. But yet God said, Ananias, that's my chosen instrument you're talking about. I've got a plan for him. It's interesting to me when we look at this story. The number one, Ananias was just willing to listen to God and do what God called him to do. That's what it looks like to be a disciple. Even when we're not sure about it, even when we're not sure about the person that God is sending us to and the person that God is saying, I want you to connect with them and I want you to help them. I want them to be a part of your life. And you're looking at going, Really, that one? I'm here to tell you, don't back down in that moment because God has a plan. But here's what you also need to know. 
God knew exactly where Saul was. He told Ananias what street to go down, what, what house to go into. God knew exactly where Saul was and knew exactly what Saul needed. And God knows exactly where you are. And he knows exactly what you need. And so do you think it's by coincidence that God is sending people into your life? Do you really think it's by coincidence that God is putting you around people that you can connect with and that you can be a part of? Because God is looking and saying, listen, I know what you need. And I know where you are. And so God assures Ananias that he has a plan. And Ananias obeys God because why? Because he's a disciple. I don't get to choose If I'm going to trust you, I don't get to choose. If I'm going to follow you, I don't get to choose. If I'm going to obey you as a disciple, I I don't get to pick and choose the things that I obey. I obey everything you tell me, God. And so that's what he does. He doesn't just follow God and obey God when it's convenient. He's willing to trust God in everything. And so Ananias goes and he finds Saul. But look at what he says. I love how he addresses him. He didn't say, hey, jerk. Yeah, I know who you are. Yeah, God sent me to you. You're lucky I'm here. No, what does he say to him? Brother Saul. He acknowledges that, you know what? You and I, we're the same. You and I, we come from the same family. You and I are brothers now. I don't know you. I I know your reputation. I know who you used to be. But you and I, we're brothers now. And even though he had questions about Saul, he trusted God and acknowledged that, you know what? We're connected now. And through Ananias, look at what happened to Saul. He was healed. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's amazing to me. This is all we know of Ananias. This is it. This is what we know of Ananias. But look at the impact Ananias had on the kingdom of God. I'm here to tell you, Saul wouldn't have been Saul. He wouldn't have been Paul had it not been for Ananias being willing to come in and say, I'm going to touch you and I'm going to pour into you and I'm going to pray for you so that you receive The Holy Spirit, church, listen to me. He was instrumental in helping Saul become what God had in store for him. The Bible says after that, if you keep reading in Acts chapter 9, that Paul stayed in Damascus for a while and he connected with the other believers. He connected with the other Christians in that area and he stayed in that region. And then he wanted to go to Jerusalem because that's where everybody was and that's where things were happening. And so he wanted to go there and actually went there because they were trying to kill him in Damascus. So he said well, maybe I shouldn't stay here because they want to kill me here. And a plot failed to kill him. And so he said, maybe I'll go to Jerusalem. There's some other believers over in Jerusalem. Maybe I'll go be with them. And so he goes over there, but yet they weren't as willing to accept him as Ananias was until we meet another man named Barnabas. Look at verse 26. It says, when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. It's talking about Paul. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe he was a disciple. Isn't that just like church people? God did an amazing work in in Saul's life. God turned his life around. God did great things. But he, he failed to ask the church in Jerusalem if it was okay if he saved Saul. And so that church in Jerusalem was saying, well, we don't want anything to do with this guy. We don't, we don't know who he is. We don't know where, we know what he's from. We, I don't want him. I don't trust that he's a real disciple, right? I know none of us would ever do that, right? None of us would ever watch somebody come down to the altar and go, well, we'll see if it sticks this time. We'll, we'll see if it's really real this time. See, listen, we've got to get rid of that attitude. Because how many times 
have we stopped what God is trying to do in his kingdom because we weren't willing to let somebody in. Because we weren't willing to accept somebody and help them and connect them and walk alongside of them. Imagine what would have happened had Saul been turned away from Jerusalem and said, nope, go out on your own. You're on your own. Thankfully, there was a man named Barnabas in town. And he was willing to connect with Saul. Look at verse 27. It says, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and he declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who had spoke to him and how at Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Why was he allowed to do this? Because Barnabas stepped forward and said, no, 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 he stays. Listen to what God has done in his life. He has a new story today. And because of that, we need to rally around him and we need to help him and we need to be there for him and we need to pray for him and strengthen him. And because of that, the Bible says he he was bold. He was preaching with boldness in that place. Barnabas stood up and defended Saul. He stood up for what God was doing. And because of that, Saul was able to go preach the name of Jesus. Now, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story, we know the whole New Testament, right? We know, we know what happens now, the, the influence that Paul had on the early church and the spreading of the gospel and even the influence he has on the church today. And all of that was made possible because he connected to Christ and he connected to others. Because there were disciples who were willing to come into Saul's life at key moments and say, you know what? Even though I have questions, I'll do what God is asking me to do. I'll connect with this person and I'll help them along because God has something in store for them. I don't know what it is. If God asks me, I don't approve of this, but it's not up to me. I'm a disciple. I'm not the master. And because I'm a disciple, I'm trying to be like Christ. I'm not trying to get Christ to be like me. I want his will to be done. And because of that, I will do what he calls me to do and look at the impact that these men have had on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because they were willing to connect with him at key moments. They weren't concerned with who he was. They were concerned with making more disciples. Church, this is what it's all about. It's about disciples making disciples. It's about us growing and and finding those people around us. And this needs to be our focus. And so let me ask you, who's your Ananias? Who's pouring into your life? Who's stepping in and protecting you? Who's your Barnabas that's encouraging you and strengthening you and walking with you? Who's the one that when you're not at church, they call you and say, not condemning, but they call you and say, I missed you. How are you doing? Boy, I, I just miss seeing you around. I, I want to see you. How are you doing? Who is that for you? Now, let me turn it around. Who are you doing that for? Who are you opening doors for? Who are you standing and protecting? What new believer are you coming alongside of and saying, no, 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 don't talk about them like that. You don't know what God's doing in their life. No, 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 don't talk about them like that. Listen to what God is doing for them. We need to protect them and stand with them and walk with them. Who are you doing that for? This is what it looks like. We need to be an encouragement. We need to help them. This is what discipleship is all about. It's about disciples, us wanting to be more like Christ, making more disciples who want to be more, not like us, more like Christ. This says, listen, I don't want you to be like me. I want you to be like Christ. And so follow me and walk with me and we'll walk together. And together we're going to help each other as we go along this spiritual journey. Almost must have learned this lesson. 
Because wherever he went, he had men around him. He had people around him that supported him and prayed for him. We see this in his letters to the churches. At the end of the letters, those, those final greetings that everyone just skims over because it's all a list of names. It's names of people that Paul is saying, oh yeah, by the way, all these people are with me. And they want to send a greeting back to the church. They, they're, they're here with me. They're ministering with me. Listen to what he says in Colossians chapter 4. In verse 10 he starts with, he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are only a few men of circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they've been a comfort to me. They're his people. They've comforted me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. This was the men around Paul. Some of those names we don't know. But some of them we do. There's Barnabas again. We, we see Barnabas still by Paul's side encouraging him. Even in prison, Paul, Barnabas is standing beside Paul encouraging him and comforting him and working alongside him. Even Luke is with Paul at this point. That's quite a small group of people. But Paul needed people around him. He needed people around him to do what God was calling him to do. Church, if Paul needed that, don't you think you do? If the man who wrote most of the New Testament that we look at today, if he needed people around him who were going to support him and walk with him and help him and minister alongside of him, don't you think you need a small group of people around you? Don't you think you need to find your people that you can walk through this life with and find this journey with and say, this is my people? And so I want to ask you, who's your group? Who are your people? I don't want to answer that to me, but answer it in your own heart. Who are your people? Who's your support network? Who are the people that are praying for you and standing with you and encouraging you and challenging you to keep going with the Lord? Can I tell you, this is why we're doing the small group Bible studies that we're doing. This is why we do the midweek Bible study that we do. This is why we do the Sunday morning Bible study from 945 to 1045. It's not just so we have one other thing to do. Listen, we're all busy. We have plenty to do. It's so that we can come together and walk together and grow together and put ourselves in small groups that says, you know what, I need people around me who know who I am, who know my name, and who are praying for me and calling out on God's behalf for me. I need that in my life. This is why we do it, church. We do it because we need to be disciples making disciples, and that doesn't happen from a distance. We can't be in the background just praying and loving on each other. We need to be up close and personal with each other. We need to know each other and walk with each other and pray with each other. You need to know people enough that you're crying out for their their loved ones and their children and their grandchildren saying, Lord, bring this one back. Not just in a general sense of, boy, I know they've got family that are lost. No, no, no. I know the cry of their heart for this one. Lord, bring them back home. Lord, I know the cry of their heart for this one. Resolve that situation for them. 
them. And you need people who are doing that in your life as well, who are crying out for your family, who's crying out for your loved ones, somebody that you can call in the middle of the night and say, listen, I'm sorry, I can't sleep because I just have a burden on my heart. Can you pray with me? And once they wipe the sleep out of their eyes, they'll say, yeah, 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 I'm here with you. I'm going to pray with you. We'll be up all night if we need to, but we're going to pray and we're going to intercede together. Who can you call like that? Who's your people that you can call on? Who's the one that you can speak to that way? This is why it's important. So there's two benefits of this that I want you to see this morning. Benefit number one is this. Connection, deep connection, only happens in a small group of people. It's only going to happen in a small group of people. You're not going to connect it to the large crowd and feel that level of connection. And we see this modeled in Jesus, right? Listen, everywhere Jesus went, there was a large crowd of people around him. Go read it. Read the scriptures. Everywhere he went, there was a large crowd around Jesus. It it wasn't that Jesus was trying to find people to hang out with. That's not why he called the 12 disciples. That's not what that was all about. Why did he call them? Because deep connections only happen in small groups. That deep connection, that, that mentoring, that teaching, that sharing, that walking of life together, it only happens in small groups. It didn't happen in the full group of Christians. It didn't happen in the thousands that gathered. It happened in that small group. We see a perfect example of this in Luke chapter 8. This is the story of Jesus with the healing of the woman with blood issue, right? This is the healing of Jairus' daughter in, in Luke chapter 8. What's going on? They're walking through the streets. There's such a large crowd around him that the woman with the blood issue, she's able to what? Only touch the hem of his garment. And he senses power leaves him and he stops everything, right? And he says, he says, who touched me? And his own disciples are looking at him saying, Jesus, are you kidding me? Everyone's touching you. Look around you. The crowd's so big, everyone's touching you. So he knows what it is to be in a large crowd. But when he goes to Jairus' house, he takes his disciples with him. But when he goes into the room to heal the girl, who's he take with him? Peter, James, and John. When he goes up on the mountain of transfiguration, he doesn't take 5,000 people up onto the mountain. Who did he take up on the mountain? Peter, James, and John. He took a small group of people and he said, listen, I want to pour everything I have into you. Why? Because deep connections only happen in small groups. And so you can sit in a sea of people like we're sitting in today and you can sit here all day long and say, you know what, I'm lonely and I'm broken and I miss people. And even though I'm sitting in a crowd, I feel lonely and I feel lost. And I'm here to tell you it's because that connection is not going to happen in a large setting. But can I tell you, when you're sitting across somebody having coffee with them and praying with them and talking with them, can I tell you, you're going to walk away from that moment saying, I feel something deep inside of my spirit now. I feel a connection that's going to help me and when you get that person who's going to walk with you on this journey it starts to grow you and strengthen you why because you're challenging each other to walk close you're challenging each other to keep walking and this is what we need because listen in the crowd you can hide right you can slip in and slip out and nobody never knows your name nobody ever knows you're there They may know you enough to wave at you as you're coming in the door and out the door. And that's about all there is to it. But deep connections happen in the small groups. Because in that small group, I can't hide from anybody anymore. In my circle of three or four people that are in my life that know who I am, they know me. I can't hide from that anymore. And so that deep connection starts to take hold. Here's the second benefit. Big things happen 
in small groups. Big things happen in small groups. Well, pastor, does that mean God can't? Listen, God can work in these altars and heal you and deliver you and help you. But can I tell you, when you walk away from this altar, you need a group of people around you who are going to keep walking with you. You need a group of people around you who are going to walk out that door with you and say, I'm so proud of what God did in your life. I don't even care to know what he did. I'm just so proud of what he did in your life. And I want you to know I'm here for you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be praying for you. If there's anything I can do for you, here's my number. Call me. We'll go get coffee one day. If you have questions, call me. We'll, we'll do a Bible study together if you want and this is what it looks like when we start to see big things start to happen it happens in these small group settings so here's a couple things that happen in these small group settings we find support and care listen we can sympathize with everybody right everybody feels bad when somebody's hurting right everybody can feel that everyone can is human enough to realize you know when somebody's down i i feel bad for them but when you have a small group around you who's praying for you and walking with you, when you're down, they're down. When you're hurting, they're hurting. When you're crying, they're crying. When you're rejoicing, they're rejoicing. Why? Because they know you. They know who you are. And so it's in that setting that you find support and care and strength. It's through connecting with small group people that you find courage to start serving. I know that sounds strange, but listen to me. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, you need to be serving somewhere. You need to be doing something in your faith. We see this in John chapter 13. If you don't believe me, go read it. Not now. After, after the picnic. Go read John chapter 13. It's the, it's the story of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. He washes the feet of the disciples and he teaches them. But what's he say to them? Look at what he says in verse 17. He says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Can I tell you, some of the blessings are only going to happen when you start serving. Some of the things that you're going to experience with God are only going to start to happen in your life as you step outside of yourself, as you start looking to other people, and you start finding ways to serve and use your talents for God. This is what spiritual growth looks like. It strengthens us and it helps us. We need to find this in our lives. We need to find this kind of blessing. This is what discipleship looks like. It starts to happen when we start to serve and get outside of ourselves. But listen to me. When you're disconnected, it's easy to avoid this, right? When you slip in and slip out and you're just kind of a nameless, faceless cog in the crowd, it's easy to just go on, right? Well, I did my time. I, I, did, my, I did my hour. Why isn't God doing anything in my life? It's because you need to step outside of yourself and you need to start putting these principles to work in your life, not just reading about them, but practicing them. Not just saying, boy, I need to love other people, but actually going out and loving other people. Not just saying, boy, I need to go serve other people, but actually going out and serving other people. Because why? Not because your pastor tells you to. Not because we have an open space in the ministry somewhere. Because God is looking at you through his word saying, listen, if you want to find blessing, then do what I just did for you. You want to find a blessing that I've been talking to you about? Then have the heart that I have. And have a servant's heart and start serving others and being a part of that. And I'm here to tell you, that happens when you start getting into a small group of people. You know why? Because that small group of people starts serving. And they say, you know what? Come greet with me this week. 
You know what? Come, come work the food pantry with me this week. You know what? Come do this with me this week. Hey, you know what? I'm teaching a class this season. Why don't you come be my helper in that class this time and, and come alongside and, and do this with me? And all of a sudden, you're, you, you can't hide anymore. You, you can't just avoid this anymore. And you start to serve. Why? Because you're serving together. Your group is serving together. And it starts to help everyone grow and helps everyone stay connected. By being connected in a small group, we find accountability. And let me say that word again. We don't hear that often enough today. Accountability. It's a real word, I promise you. Look it up. It's a real word. It's, it's almost a swear word in today's culture. But, but there's a word called accountability that we need in our lives, that, that we need in our spiritual life, that, that will help us continue to grow. Because, listen, you need to be here, right? And, and accountability is what helps us stay around. It's what helps us get here. And I know that has a bad name, right? Because here's how we used to do accountability. If you miss church one Sunday, we call you up. Oh, you must be backsliding. What's going on in your life? Right? No, no, no. That's not what we're doing. We're, we're, it's through that small group that we're looking at each other saying, you know what? I missed you today. I like when we're together. I like when we worship together. I, I just, I find it comforting when we pray together. I find it comforting when we sit together in church and, and we find this strength because being together like that helps us find that accountability to keep coming around and keep being around this part. Because listen, you need this setting just as much as you need small group setting. You need to be in the body of Christ just as much as you need to be in a small group of people. We need this in our lives, right? We need to worship together and hear the Word of God together and get in the altars together and pray together and cry together. We need that in a full sense. And it comes together when we have people who are connected to us. Because again, if I don't know anybody, it's easy to slip in and out. If nobody knows my name and nobody has my phone number and nobody knows how to connect with me, it's easy to just slip in and out of church whenever I feel like it because nobody's there to challenge me. Nobody's there to say, hey, listen, I'll come pick you up if you need a ride. I'll help you if you need a ride. Let me know. What, what can I do to get you there? But we need to gather like this. This is what Hebrews 10 says. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Church, listen to me. The day, it's drawing near. It was drawing near in the biblical times. And it's drawing near now. There's not much time left. And we need to start taking this serious. And we need to start realizing that souls are at stake. The soul of your family is at stake. The soul of my family is at stake. And we need each other. We need people calling on each other. Not condemning one another and talking down to one another and saying you're the worst person in the world because you missed Sunday service. No. Calling you saying, is there something I can do for you? I missed you. What can I do for you? I prayed for you. I just want you to know I missed you in church today. I prayed for you today. That's all. I don't need an explanation. I just wanted you to know that I missed you and I'm praying for you today. Can I tell you what, how far that goes to get us together? Because we start growing together and we start building this connection. And here's the truth. We want to be around each other. And we say, you know what? I get to go be with my friends today in church. I get to go sit with the people I like today in church. I get to go out to lunch with them after church today. I get to be a part of that. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to be in church today. And because of that, I'm in the presence of God. And I can hear his voice. 
and I can receive what I need from him today. It's easy to neglect the gathering together when we're disconnected. But when we're connected to that small group of people, they look for you. And you look for them. And so be part of that. We need this kind of accountability in our lives. We need to be here. Why? Because growth happens when we're together. These are the benefits of staying connected. This is where deep connections happen. This is where big things happen, where you start to learn to serve and you find care and support and strength and you find encouragement and you find help at times and you find your friends at times and you find those people who will be there, who will show you what it looks like to grow in the Lord and will show you what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Isabel, would you come get ready to play some music? And so as we get ready to close, I just want to ask you a question. And maybe you need to write this question down. Maybe you need to write it in the margin of your Bible in Acts chapter 9. Or write it in your phone as a note. Whatever you need to do. Maybe you need to text yourself. Or, but here's the question I need you to ask yourself. And you need to come up with an answer. Who are my people? Who are my people? Not just my friends at work and my co-workers. Who are my spiritual people? Who are those ones that are going to pray for me? Who are going to walk this journey with me? Who are they? Listen, I can find a lot of people to gossip with, right? You can find a lot of people to go party with and do the things of this world with. We need to avoid that. What we need to find is the people who will help us grow. Who's going to challenge us to be a better disciple of Jesus Christ. And find your people. Find those who are going to love you and care for you and stand with you. And so maybe as I ask that question, you don't have an answer to it yet. Start praying. Because listen, if God knew where Saul was at, down to the house he was sitting in, and he put a vision in a man named Ananias and said, I want you to go into the city, and I want you to go down this street, and I want you to go knock on this door to go talk to this person, and I've already told him to be expecting you. I already told him in his vision that a man named Ananias is coming to lay hands on him. Don't you think God can do that for you? God knows exactly where you are. And if you'll start praying, God will start putting a vision on somebody's heart that says, I need to get to know them. I need to take them to lunch. I need to go sit with them at the picnic today. I need to understand who they are. I need to introduce myself to them. Because I want to get to know who they are. I want to be that person for them. Who are you connecting to? Because listen, if Paul needed this for his spiritual journey, you need it for yours. If Paul needed this to accomplish what God had called him to do, you need it to accomplish what God is asking you to do. Would you bow your heads with me?